Tonight, I'm going to be teaching the second part of this, the little mini-series on godly living. This is if in your little book, in your workbook, it's Lesson 10, Godly Living Part 2. Godly Living Part 2. And I have done a little bit of revision of this, so I, I'll, let, I'll let you know. If I'm adding scriptures, I'll let you know so you can write them down in your book. But we're going to go ahead and start with the lesson purpose. This is one of Pastor Marie's little um, analogies, and I love it. Pastor uh, Sarah Marie is the founding pastor of Life Christian Church. Think of your heart as a garden. On the day you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he entered into, that, into your heart, into that garden. But even though Jesus is in there, the garden can still have a lot of weeds growing in it as well. Many of them left over from your previous life before you became new. A vegetable garden grows much healthier vegetables and is much more productive when the weeds are removed. The garden of our heart works the same way. As we weed out our worldly nature and grow in our godly nature, we'll reap a bountiful harvest, including healing. Obey the word. Be a doer of the word. So what we're talking about today is the, the powerful impact that growing in this process, because it's a process of growing in holiness and the impact that has on our lives um, I'm going to say this later, but I'm going to go there right now because I think this is important. If our heart is a garden and Jesus lives there, and there's, but there could be some weeds. There could be some weeds. I don't know about you, but uh, there might be, you know, priorities that are messed up. There might be some anger issues. There might be patience or whatever. There might be some little weeds in there. But the word of God when you feed on the word, it cleanses that. It kind of weeds it out. I like to say that when you're immersed in God, when you develop a relationship with him, and we've talked lots and lots about relationship, when you come to know him personally and intimately, when you read the word and let his word minister to your heart, it's like a pervasive ground cover. And what a pervasive ground cover does is it grows and spreads and grows and spreads and grows and spreads and it takes over everything else so it can't live. But it's good. It's a good ground cover. It's God's ground cover. And it literally, when you're immersed in him and you're beholding him, you become what you behold as you behold him in his word, as you behold him in a holy environment, as you behold him in your day-to-day conversation with your spouse or your kids or whoever it is you're talking about, as you live your life with him at the center, literally something happens in your heart and you become, you grow, you change. It's a process, but you grow and you change into this complete new creation. You were, you were made righteous when you were saved in your spirit, man. But there's your soul that's still there, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your physical body. And that's where this takes place. So now let's go to the Word. And let's start with 1 John chapter 3. Like I said, we're going to just... I'm adding a few scriptures. I'm moving a few scriptures around for time's sake. 1 John chapter 3. 
starting with verse 21. Hmm. Don't know if I can read this. And beloved, if our conscience, our hearts do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence and complete assurance and boldness before God. Mm. It's talking about our consciences not accusing us or making us feel guilty or condemn us. We don't have condemnation as kids of Christ. We're, there's no more condemnation. Romans 12, I think it's verse 1 or verse 2. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What, we're, what this scripture is going to go on and talk about is being, what I say, righteousness conscious instead of sin conscious. Sin conscious means you're thinking so much about what you're not doing right and you're looking so much at your sin that that's where your consciousness is. But as believers, we are in a complete, complete state of righteousness. Amen. That's great news. So this scripture is talking about if you're not sin conscious, but if you're righteousness conscious, then you are in that place of the pervasiveness of God and you grow in that process of holiness. But let me continue to read. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we watchfully obey his orders. We observe his suggestions and injunctions. We follow his plan for us and habitually practice what is pleasing to him. And this is his order, his command, his injunction. Here it is, guys, that we should believe. That's our part, to believe, to put our faith and our trust and our and in and adhere to and rely on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's the first part. And that we should love one another just as he has commanded us. So he's saying, if your heart doesn't condemn you, if you're not in this place of condemnation, the woman that I talked to at the beginning of that service, she was just seething with condemnation and she didn't realize it. And that's what I told her. I said, oh, no, oh, no, you're forgiven. You're righteous. You are completely righteous. But she was in this place of feeling condemned and feeling guilty. That's the enemy's lie. Condemnation is eyes of the enemy. Feeling like you're not good enough is the enemy. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. And he's certainly good enough. And his price was certainly enough. The blood that he shed, the death that he died was absolutely enough to wipe the slate clean. Not just to wipe it clean, to remove, to remove any sin that you had, past, present, or future. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm going to do a little review right now. This is what I shared two weeks ago, but I want to review because I think it's, I think it's very powerful for you to have this, this understanding. Number one, when we first surrendered our heart to Jesus and asked him to be the Lord of our life, we were made righteous. That's the moment that you became perfect in the spirit. Okay? We're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit person is made perfect at that moment of surrender to Jesus and receiving him as your Lord. 
That's good news. And then the slide up here. That's righteousness. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't have to get clean before you become righteous. You are righteous as soon as you ask Jesus to be the Lord and your, and your Savior. It's not based upon us. It's based upon God. It is a result of the act of God. It's based entirely, entirely upon receiving. Remember that scripture we just read? Our part is believing. And then we receive what Jesus has done. Righteousness is not something we have. It's something we are. We are righteous. And then the next slide talks about holiness. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about godly living today. And the impact godly living has on openly and freely receiving everything, including healing, that God has for us. So holiness is a choice. It's that pervasive ground cover I was talking about. It's a result of the acts of men by their own free will. It's something we develop. It's based entirely upon obedience and yielding to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And I would even say through the grace of God, through the help of God. The last time that we were together, we looked at a scripture in Romans that talked about the truth that we are no longer under the dominion of sin, the control. We're no longer, as believers, under the control of sin. And by the grace of God, by the help of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we're able to grow in the process of holiness. Okay. So, we're saved. We're righteous. We're pure. We're cleansed by the blood. The blood completely cleanses us of sin. Sin, when we make it, when we miss it, does not affect our righteousness. It does not affect God's love for us. This is really easy for me as a parent to see because when our kids mess up, we still love them. We probably even have more tenderness in our heart when we see that they're broken. We just do. How much more, Father God? He still loves us. The righteousness is not affected. But sin does have consequences in the natural. I shared some examples last time. We were together. I'm going to share them again because it just makes sense. Um, unforgiveness is something God says, forgive so that I can forgive you. So unforgiveness is not yielding to God if you're holding on to, to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can cause bitterness. Bitterness can lead to strife, broken relationships, sickness. So a sin like unforgiveness can have physical or emotional effects in a big way. That's your soul and your body. It's not your Holy Spirit. It's not the spirit in you, but it's your soul or your body that is affected. Another example is sexual immorality. God says, don't do it. He says, that's not what I want for you. In the natural, there can be problems with physical immorality sexual immorality there can be unwanted pregnancies there could be that which could lead to abortion there could be um uh, uh you know issues with with relationships because of that there could be sexually transmitted diseases all sorts of things 
So sin has consequences. Another example is drunkenness. God says, don't get drunk. He says, don't drink unto drunkenness is what the Bible says in several places. And that can lead to addictions. It can lead to broken marriages or broken relationships. And it can, you know, it can have of an effect upon your life, either in the physical or in your emotional or in relationships. So sin does have consequences. The next slide I'd like to show you, the next two slides are, this is the first, the first one is kind of one of those uh, liver ones, although I love liver. Um, let me think something I don't love, Brussels sprouts. <laughs> this is like a Brussels sprouts. The next one's filet mignon. But sin is when we yield to the enemy. We give in to the enemy. Um, it's often I see and, and I've lived this place of being very worldly, being much in the world. And because I'm in the world, I just yield to the world and it's just kind of easy. Okay? I've been there. I've been there. And we all have in different, different ways. I know before I, before I began to change and grow in this process of holiness, things didn't bother me like what I viewed. You know, I could watch anything on TV and it was entertainment. It didn't affect my heart. It didn't hurt. It didn't bother my conscience. I was kind of calloused. I was just kind of going with the world, going with the flow. So I was yielding to the enemy what I was doing, not knowingly, not really even on purpose, but I was just kind of yielding to the enemy. And because of that, I had a callousness that it didn't bother me. It didn't affect me. You know, I, my heart was hardened in that area. Sometimes you can have different parts of your heart hardened in different areas. And that was an area didn't bother me. Language was another one. If I heard offensive language, it didn't hurt my ears. It didn't hurt my heart. Well, just another word. It does now. And the result, and this is where we're going because this is a healing class, the result is it gives the enemy a foothold to get in and cause damage. Now, the enemy, I call it the oppression of the enemy. It's really illegal because he's been defeated, right? Jesus disarmed him. But, and as believers, he's disarmed. I get the benefits. But if I don't know that and I let the enemy in, then he's in there. So it's an illegal um, authority, an illegal dominion that he gets in there and has his way. And it can be an open door to sickness or to a soul wound or an emotional wound. The next slide is the filet mignon. This is about holiness. And it's exactly the opposite. As you start to yield to God's will, and it happens, we're going we're to look at how this happens today. It happens through immersing yourself in the word. It happens through immersing yourself in a holy environment, praying, talking to God, praising and worshiping. And as you're yielding to him, you become more sensitive. You're in a holy place when you're with him. And you become more sensitive so that you don't want to do those things. So when you hear that offensive language, it knocks the wind out of you. And you just want to tell the person to please don't use that language around you. Don't use it at all, but especially around you. Or it might have been something that you said all the time. It might have been a word that just kind of 
flipped out of your mouth real easily. And as you become in this, immersed in this holy place, you don't want to use those words anymore. And then it's a cycle. You become more and more and more sensitive. And that's that process of growing in holiness. It causes your heart to become more sensitive to the conviction of sin and to God's direction and God's correction. And guess what? There is no foothold for the enemy because you are coming into that place of obedience to God's word and yielding to his best for you. The same way we do as parents. We set boundaries for our kids knowing that's what's best for them because we love them. You know, when I was with Colton, there were lots of things I let him do. But then there were things that I said, no, (laughs) absolutely no. And no matter how he looked at me and cried, it didn't matter. The answer was no, because it would hurt him. That's what Father God wants for us. And it's in his word, his best for us. So when we do that, then there's no foothold for the enemy. Or in my baby boy's case, when he knows he can't get into that electric plug, he's not going to get a shock. Okay, so righteousness and holiness. The next slide says, your holiness is not connected to the righteousness piece. It doesn't, your holiness or lack doesn't change God's hearts toward you. He still loves you just the same. Whether you've gone through this process and cleaned up your language or you haven't, he still desperately loves you. But, your holiness changes your heart. doesn't change God's heart, but it changes your heart towards him. How many of you can relate to this right now? You're saying, I know what you're talking about, Cindy. I know what you're talking about. I have something different in me, and I don't, you can't even sometimes put your, it into words, but your heart is changed. It's not your head. It's not even your actions. There's something new in your heart because you love God and you know his love for you. And you are a different person. You look different. You act different. People think you're different. Right? Raise your hand if you've, if you've had maybe people even say something to you about that. Okay. So the next place I'd like to go in your book is foundation two. I kind of did the introduction a little bit different than it is in your Bible study, but I want to go to foundation two now because we're going to talk about God's help to move in this place of holiness or in growing in sanctification. That's another word. We're going to define it more thoroughly as we go. Let's go to first Thessalonians chapter five. This is Mm, near the back of your Bible, little tiny book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's where my ribbon is. It's funny how he always does that. Verse 23. We're going to be talking about sanctification or holiness. Here's some good news. May the God of peace himself sanctify you through and through separate you from profane things make you pure and wholly consecrated to god and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved sound and complete and found blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ the messiah 
So this scripture is talking about being sanctified by God, by God himself. And he talks about sanctification. And I chose the Amplified Translation because it defines, amp, it defines con, too many words. It defines sanctification as being separated from profane things and being consecrated unto God. I'm going to talk more about those words in a second. But then it talks about being sanctified in our spirit and our soul and our body. So we've already kind of briefly talked about our soul being righteous. I'm sorry. Come on, Cindy, think. Our spirit being righteous, but our soul and our body are the areas that we're growing in holiness. And that's what God does as we immerse himself in his presence. So, there's one scripture for you. Here's another one. Go to John 17, please. We're looking at what the Bible says, what God does for us. We don't do it without help. You couldn't do it. If you weren't saved, it would be impossible to make yourself perfect. It would be impossible to grow in this place of perfection that God says. He says, be holy as I am holy. He says, be perfect. He uses that word, as I am perfect. Now that word perfect is actually mature, to grow up in your spiritual maturity. But if God says it, we can do it. Look at this one. This is John 17. I'm going to start with verse 15. I'm going to go a couple um, verses back from what's up there. It says, Jesus is talking. This whole chapter is Jesus' prayer. I love this chapter of the Bible. It's right before he goes to the cross. It's after the Last Supper. And he is praying to Father God. Jesus is praying to Father God. And first he prays for his apostles. And then he prays for all believers. And this is part of that prayer. He says, I do not ask that you will take them out of the world, but that you will keep and protect them from the evil one. Okay, so we're in the world and the evil one's here. But Jesus is praying that we'll be protected. They are not of the world, worldly, belonging to the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself and make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is praying to Father God and he's saying, okay, they're in the world. There's a lot of evil there. They're in the world, but they don't need to be of the world. They don't need to be like the world. Remember I talked earlier about how you just kind of go with the flow of the world and you end up with all the junk on you? Yeah. But Jesus is praying for us to the Father. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is his word. And as we read his word... That is the process. That is part of the process of sanctification. Let me show you another scripture. This one isn't in your Bible study, so you might want to write it down. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Actually, we'll go to that next slide. Go ahead and... Unless we're shaped by the word, we'll be shaped by the world. Isn't that good? And 
And this is Ephesians 5, starting with verse 25. I like the first part, too, so I'll just read the whole thing. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay. This scripture, of course, is written to, to compare a husband's love for his wife with Jesus' love for his church. But the part about Jesus and his church, it says Jesus loves his church so much. We're his church. Every one of his kids, that's the universal church. Universal means we're all part of the same church. And he says that he sanctifies his church with the washing of the water. I want to make sure I read it exactly right. The washing of water by the word. The word sanctifies, cleanses us, opens our eyes, gives us revelation into what God has for us. And he speaks to us through his word. I heard this teaching, and I, I'm, I'm looking at my notes because I want to make sure that I share it the way that it was shared. It was Bill Johnson. He said that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Okay? That's righteousness. But the water of the word cleanses us from uncleanness of life. Let me say that again. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. That's righteousness. We're completely cleansed. The water of the word cleanses us from uncleanness of life. Doesn't even necessarily mean sin. You can be in a a situation. I'm just going to give you an example. When we went to New York City to visit our daughter, I felt uh, just yuck. You know, I love my daughter. I love it, but I don't love New York. <laughs> and, and when we were in the midst of that environment, it just felt dark. It felt oppressive. I just felt like I was just, ugh, you know. The water of the word cleanses you from uncleanness of life. You can literally be in situations where you just, just need washed. <laughs> I need a shower. The water of the word brings you into that place of immersion Immersion in God. And this is, this is what Bill Johnson said. He said, His voice, the living word, recalibrates all areas of our lives. It cleanses us, woos us, draws us nearer to God. The closer you come to God, the less junk you can take with you. Isn't that good? So as you're immersed in the word, you, you just, you're wooed to him, you're... Um, you're, you're cleansed in your, you know, your thinking and your heart. That's why I love to read the word in the morning before I start my day. I want to start that way. I want to start just fresh, like my shower. I take a shower in the natural, and I take my shower in the spiritual. That's how I want to start my day. It's a good way to end your day, too, I guess. It's a good way any time during the day. But, but the point I'm making is that it cleanses us, helps us to grow in that position of holiness. Okay, now I want to go ahead and look at that word sanctification because I've been using it a lot. The next, the next slide kind of defines it. And this is from a concordance. If you look up the word sanctification, this is what happens to us 
through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through the pervasive ground cover of being in relationship with God. We are purified. We are consecrated. The word consecrated means declare sacred. Wow. We're declared sacred through the word. As the word just cleanses us and, and, and woos us, we're made holy. Sanctification is a deep solemnity or dedication to God. That's part of what happens as you come into that relationship with him. You, wanted, you want to give him more. You want to dedicate more. I remember when I was first, I mean, I was saved. I was, I was d- diagnosed with cancer before I was saved. Then I was saved. And then my focus was on healing and the healer. Then I received my healing. And then, oh my gosh, God got my attention. I just was captivated. Completely, completely undone. And then I started looking at all my life. You know, my priorities were out of shape. My work was out of shape. I was, you know, workaholic. I had all sorts of other junk. And through that process, I became more dedicated. I said, oh, God, I dedicate my, my job to you. God, I dedicate my, my whatever, my marriage. Our marriage has grown richer. You know, all of those areas as you dedicate yourself and let God be your Lord. Separated for God and separated from the world or profane things. So the separation happens and you come closer to God and instead of being on the fence, <laughs> you come into that position of being separated unto God and away from the profane, away from the, the worldliness and the junk of the world. Would you look with me at Second Timothy chapter 3? We're talking about the word cleansing us, the word and the Holy Spirit and the grace of God helping us in this thing called growing up spiritually. Second Timothy chapter 3. This is a scripture we've read before, but I think it's very appropriate to read it again. Verse 16. I'm in First Timothy. Sorry about that. Okay, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So first major point is that scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired. And then it's profitable, and it lists four things. And as I was looking at these again this week, I was, I was seeing it a little bit differently than I've seen it before, and I've read the scriptures so many times. But the first three I looked at, and I thought, that's holiness, Father God. And the last one is righteousness. So let's look at the first three. Doctrine, reproof, and correction. Doctrine is instruction. God's way. Not man's way, but God's way. You know, it's not doctrine of man. It's doctrine of God. Instruction from God. Reproof is conviction. That's a good thing. Conviction is good. It's when God speaks to you. He's, he's been doing a work in me since last night. Convicting me of something. And Kent and I have been talking about it. And it's like, 
God, you're so good. And it's not a condemning thing at all. It's a good thing. So that's something that he does through his word is conviction. I sometimes use the word diagnosis. Like the thing that he's showing me right now, I didn't even realize. He's shining a light and showing it to me. He's diagnosing something in me. And then the next one is correction of error. And that would be the treatment plan. So when the doctor gives you a diagnosis, then he gives you a plan to make it better. So God gives you conviction, and then he gives you a plan to make it better, to improve. It's not a discipline. That's not what it is. It's not a spanking, bad girl. Mm -mm. It's correction. It's saying, this is what you can do, Cindy. This is what I'm showing you, and this is what you can do. That's the process of holiness, instructing you, convicting you, correcting you, showing you how to grow. That's growing in holiness. And then the last piece here is instruction in righteousness. And that is just like the first scripture that we read. Instruction showing us that we're righteous, becoming righteousness conscious instead of sin conscious and saying, the Bible says all over, you have been made righteous. You have been justified through Jesus. But you need to know that. Or you're going to be like the beautiful woman that was in tears thinking she couldn't possibly be healed. How could she possibly be healed with what she had lived through? Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The truth is that she's righteous. So that's what the Bible shows us. Instruction in righteousness. It shows us, yeah, you're righteous, Cindy. And that's when we become complete. When we grow up into that mature Christian and we're thoroughly equipped. We're matured. We're equipped to live the life of dedication and separation to God and away from the world. Would you look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3? This one isn't in your Bible study either, so you might want to write this one down. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I love the scripture. I love them all, but I really love this one. Verse 18. We're talking about the word washing us. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of God, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this scripture is saying, as we behold the word of God, it's like a mirror. And as we behold the, the word of God, we, we become transfigured. It doesn't say we are. It says we become. We're constantly being transfigured into his image from one degree of glory to another, from one degree of splendor to another. We're growing. It's like a mirror. This is a mirror, and we become, it becomes more and more clear. We start to look like God's word. And it's a process. It's a process. This is one of the scriptures that I have written on a card. And I literally stand in front of a mirror. <laughs> I literally stand in my bathroom in front of my mirror and I meditate on that word. 
And I said, God, this is, I want to look like you. I want to look like you and grow from one degree of glory to another and be transfigured into your image by, you, by your word, by being in your presence, by encountering you. That's growing in holiness. That's growing in holiness. We are transformed by beholding the word of God, the living word of God, by beholding Jesus, who is the living word of God. We become what we behold. I love that little saying. We become what we behold. If you behold the world, if you behold junk, if you behold perversion, you become what you behold. If you behold the word, you become more and more like the word. I think, I'm not positive, but I think there's three times in the Bible where it says, imitate me as I imitate God. Paul says it. I don't know if Paul says it all three times, but I know it's in there three different times. Imitate me as I imitate God. You become what you behold. And as we behold the word, the word, just like the scripture says, it's like a mirror. And then the next scripture is second Peter chapter one. This is the next one I'm adding. Second Peter chapter one, verse three and four. I'm going to read it from the NIV. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. We're talking for God. We're talking about godly living. His divine power has given us what we need for that through our knowledge of him. As we come to know him and that word knowledge isn't like a head knowledge. It's not like being acquainted. It's like knowing through experience. Some of you are here for the first time and I've seen your face. I don't even really know your name. I'm trying to learn it. But my husband, I know. I have knowledge of my husband because we have a, a relationship. Same thing with Abba. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So through his glory, his goodness, he's given us his precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Does that sound like godly living? Yeah. He's given us everything we need. And as we come into knowledge of him, that's just, that's a byproduct. That's, that happens. Okay, so on to foundation three. Skipping a couple more because of time. I had to really look at, okay, what do I have time for? Because I knew I was adding some scriptures. So all these scriptures are really rich. You might want to go home and just read them and meditate on the ones that we haven't read together. What I want to go to now is, Okay, so we're talking about godly living. We're talking about growing in holiness. But what about when I miss it? Okay, so we're going to talk about that now. When I screw up and I lose my temper and I, you know, scream and yell and lose my patience or whatever. First of all, first of all, remission of sin. I want to define it. Remission is forgiveness and cancellation of the penalty. 
That's what Jesus did for us. He remitted sin. And it is not just forgiving. He canceled it out completely. He canceled the penalty. He completely canceled it out, just as if we'd never done it. It says grace. Would you go to the next scripture, please? This is 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's if you're saved. You're in the light. If you know Jesus, you're in the light. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I made that statement earlier that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and the word of God cleanses us from uncleanness. This is where that came from. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Remits sin. Gone. Done. I've already said sin does not affect God's love for us. Go to the next slide. It does not affect God's love for us. It does not affect our position of righteousness. So then, why is there a need to confess? That's what I want to talk about now. Let's look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to cleanse us. So what does that look like? We go to the next slide, just like a little bulleted list. Number one, or the first thing, is acknowledging and just saying, okay, God, you know, I, I, that's one of the meanings of confess. Confess means to agree with God. It also means to acknowledge what, what this is, what this sin is. In my case, you know, maybe it was what I was viewing without, you know, and, and hurting myself, contaminating myself with what I was viewing. But then you acknowledge it, but you're surrendering to the grace of God. Remember the scripture before 1 John 1, 7 that says you're cleansed? You're surrendering to that grace and receiving it. You're receiving that grace. And then comes the repentance part. You've heard the word repent means to change directions or to change to, you know, whatever. Um, I want to define what it I'm just again I'm going to look at my notes because this is really really rich repentance means more than weeping over sin crying about your sin isn't repentance even turning away from sin towards God that's a definition I've heard it's more than that repentance is changing your way of thinking and then turning from sin to God it's changing your thinking to agree with God and then turning from sin. And it's only possible when you surrender to his grace. And say, God, your grace is so good. The price you paid is enough. When we are in a position of self-condemnation and saying, oh, he could never forgive me. It's like you're saying he didn't die enough. Or he didn't take enough lashes. Or he didn't do enough. Or he didn't take enough. He, didn't, he needed to die again or something. And that's not true. It was more than enough. So our renewed mind or this position of changing your thinking 
and then turning from sin to God is the result of surrendering to him. Surrendering to his grace. And now here's a sentence I think you want to write down. Turning from sin to God is more the result of true repentance than it is the actual act. As you repent, as you change your thinking, turning from sin is a result. It's not, oh, I have to turn from this. I'm going to repent, God. I'm going to turn. No. It's when you see the grace of God and his goodness. That's when you turn. Because your heart is in agreement with his heart. Without God's grace. Mm -hmm. And when you ask him for his grace, his grace is enough. Yep. And, and in this position of, of changing your thinking and turning away from sin, that's when it happens is when you're in that place with him and his grace and surrendering to his grace and saying, God, I need it. I need your grace. I need your help. And this is the bottom line. You know, I said, why do we need to confess? God wants to do more than just get you out of the red. He already did that. He wants to get you in the black. He wants to get you in that place of bountiful receiving, including healing, so that all doors to the enemy are closed. It's not there anymore. He wants, he's already gotten you out of the red. You're not in debt anymore. That's done. The debt has been paid. He wants to get you out of debt and into the black. And as we grow in this godly living, it takes the footholds away from the enemy. It takes the footholds away. There's no more foothold for the enemy to get in and have a stronghold. Those little footholds can grow into strongholds. And no, no more. The next couple of, actually the next three times, next three sessions, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And I believe in my journey of healing, that was integral to my receiving was forgiveness. I had a, a, a very big stone wall between myself and somebody. I'll tell you more about that in the next couple sessions. And I let, I let it go. And I chose to forgive. And that tie, that captivity that I had myself in was completely erased. There was no more captivity. The tie was broken. The emotion, I was emotionally free. And then I was free to receive what God had for me. So that's what we're talking, this whole thing, it all is connected with receiving whatever it is your need is. In this case, we're, this is a healing class. Let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. We talked about remission, God forgiving and canceling the debt. This is another scripture that kind of just gives us that, that knowledge of the love of God and his, ama- his amazing, amazing, amazing goodness, starting with verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, 
So great are his mercy and loving kindness toward those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's what you meditate on. Meditate on his goodness. Meditate on how far he's removed his transgress- your transgressions from you. Meditate on how great his mercy and his love are for you. Meditate on the, the price that he paid in full for you. And would you turn to Hebrews 10, please? This is the last scripture we're going to read. Love this chapter. Take time this week to read this whole chapter a couple times. It's about, if you read the whole chapter, it's about the old sacrificial system and Jesus being the the sacrificial lamb, the perfect, unblemished lamb that paid the price once and for all, for all mankind forever. That's what this chapter is about. But I'm going to read just a few verses, starting with verse 10. And in accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated and sanctified through the offering made once and for all of the body of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And then I'm going to skip to verse 14. For by a single offering, he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. And also the Holy Spirit adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. For having said, this is the agreement, the testament, the covenant that I will set up and conclude with them after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their hearts and I will inscribe them on their minds, on their inmost thoughts and understanding. And then he goes on to say, and their sins and their lawbreaking, I will remember no more. Amen. Amen. Good, good news. Good news. I want to make one more point. And then we're going to close with prayer. Um, Verse 20 in the same chapter. Verse 20. It says, By this fresh, new, and living way. This is the new covenant. By this fresh, new, and living way, which he initiated and dedicated and opened for us through the separating curtain, the veil of the holy holies, that is through his flesh. And then it goes on to tell more about this sacrifice. But the part that I really wanted to show you is that Jesus did something with his death. And I've talked about this before, but I just want to review it one more time. The, The veil was torn when he died. It says so right here. And it says that when, his, when he died in the flesh, the veil was torn. We know back in the Gospels that when he died on the cross, in that afternoon time when there was an eclipse of the sun and there was an earthquake, the temple veil tore from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. That veil was, if you read back in the Old Testament on the the making of that veil, it was inches thick. It was intensely strong. And yet God ripped it. It was symbolic of separation. In the sacrificial system, the high priest could not go behind that veil unless he'd gone through this whole purification system. 
and he could only do it once a year to cover the sins. But when Jesus, the new covenant, the, the, the perfect lamb was sacrificed for us, that veil was torn. And we can now go directly into the Holy of Holies. We can now go directly before the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Amen. The throne of grace. That's what we're talking about today. The grace of God to grow us spiritually. The grace of God which completely perfected us in the state of righteousness when we were saved. The grace of God. Now the reason I said all that, and I, I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but the reason I said all that is because I grew up in a denomination that said that I couldn't go directly to God. I had to go through a priest. According to this chapter and according to other verses as well, that's not true in the new covenant. In the new covenant of grace, I can go right to God. There's no more separation. And I don't have to go through a person. I go directly to God. So I just, and if you have questions about that, believe me, I had a lot of questions about it. And I asked a lot of questions when I first started to learn more about what the Bible says instead of what man's teaching says. So if you want to ask us more questions about that, we would absolutely share with you. But the point I want to make is you don't have to wait to go to confession to be cleansed of your sins. You don't have to do that. You are cleansed and you are in a constant position or that's the wrong word you're in a position of righteousness but you're in a constant growing up in your in your walk with god in your spiritual growing up in that in that growing up of holiness